0: Dale Shipley, author of Empowering Parents, Meeting Children's Needs in the Kindergarten and Primary Years, Dale and I are going to discuss what it means to teach children the way they learn. Teaching children the way they learn, especially in the primary years, involves play, projects, activities, and a variety of learning materials. As children interact with these materials, they learn skills that support all learning, We'll also talk about how the environment supports learning, habits for learning, and touch briefly on learning styles. So let's begin. Hi there, Dale. Hello, Diane. Happy to be with you again. Great to have you join us. So, as we begin, did you know that young children are active learners who learn best when they f- they're free to move, choose, manipulate and explore play with a variety of materials. They also learn best when the type of materials they use, allow them to set their own goals. Materials that respond to children's actions on them, like simple blocks or Play-Doh, or with a variety of creative materials, such as paper towel rolls, cotton balls, paint and glue sticks. In general, The more playful, active, and interesting activities are to a child and the more the play materials respond to the children's actions on them, the more readily a child will learn. So in this context, Dale, I'm wondering, can you shed some light on what activities and play materials provide interesting challenges, respond to children's actions on them, and promote their learning and skill development?
1: Well, this is a very important topic, Diane, because we're working steadily toward the goal of of encouraging parents to be the monitors and, and even the designers of a child's best learning environment in the home. And so, responsive play materials should be an important part of that environment. Things like construction sets and blocks and puzzles are very important because children can see the result of their actions on the materials themselves, and it encourages them to make further changes to their materials and to the environment in which they play. Eventually, children see a pattern emerging in their environment and with the materials they play with, and they become more purposeful in how they use, particularly the open-ended responsive materials like blocks, construction materials, and and, um, art materials as well. With blocks or, or other construction materials, they begin to plan their structures. They also revise them when they play, especially when they do not produce the the effect that the child desires, then they try a different approach. Responsive materials like blocks, art materials, or cardboard and wood for carpentry, or fabric for sewing, cutting, and gluing, or modeling clay, bricks and boards outdoors, as well as sand and earth, grow with children's skill development as they become more efficient in learning how to use these materials. As children construct, make things, create artistic productions and develop physical skills like manipulative abilities, eye-hand coordination, hand control, and perceptual abilities, and scanning and detecting differences, for instance, between figure and ground, They're developing their their physical perceptual abilities as well as uh, learning how to to use their time well. They also learn to plan and realize a product that they hold in their mind's eye. That's all about the planning. If a child is able to plan an activity and figure out what it is that they want to do with materials, they usually have to hold an, an image in their eye and choose the materials that they think will bring bring a closer version of the plan that they have in mind. They may start over, or they may add to the materials they already have. These types of activities and materials are of the durable kind, and they're lasting as the child experiences the full potential of these responsive materials and is able to find various ways to use them. Other materials and activities are also valuable resources for enhancing their learning and skill development, especially the learning to learn skills that are are so important for lifelong learning. Jigsaw puzzles, form board puzzles, interlocking number and letter puzzles, they're all important, as well as learning to scan, uh, to do scanning puzzles like mazes, and fix puzzles that have only one way to solve them, like for instance, a Rubik's cube. These all contribute to the development of attending skills, focus, concentration, the ability to block out distractions, persist until the puzzle is solved and return to an activity after an interruption. Parents often ask about the value of technology games and puzzles. These, I have to admit, develop perceptual, physical, attending and focusing skills, and they can be useful learning tools for children, as long as they are employed intermittently and only after they have played with concrete objects first. This is because this is the only way that children learn best, that is with the concrete objects that they have in their environment. The the screen-based activities should not consume much of the time child's time during the day, as their time is time is better spent playing with three dimensional objects in the concrete environment.
0: So you've talked a lot about responsive materials, Dale, and and I like to think of responsive uh, responsive materials as as hands on materials, things that. As you said, you can manipulate with, with your hands and, and there's some kind of outcome that takes place as you manipulate them with your hands. Um, a really quick uh, tip for parents as they're thinking about uh, responsive materials is to find a container at home, an empty bin, and just start collecting leftover pieces, paper towel rolls, toilet paper rolls, uh, empty containers. Um Different materials that their children are able to use to create, to to build. And these are things that are, are, you know, not expensive, not something that you have to go out and purchase, but things that you already have in the home. And I think it's really important for parents to understand that as their children are building and creating, that they're learning really important and essential learning to learn skills that you've mentioned like being able to attend, starting a uh, a project and and finishing it and limiting uh, distractions, blocking them out. And certainly as a child is interested in what they're doing, uh, they certainly will be able to block out a lot of those uh, distractions that are around them. So earlier, Dale, you said that the quality of the environment also plays a role in children's learning at home and at school and also has an impact on uh, the child's developing ability to learn. So can you explain for us how and why the environment is so important? Well,
1: the, the home and school environment should, as you say, offer choice among several activities and play materials so that the child gets to choose, first of all, what they will play and to plan how they will try to reach their own goal. The environment overall should be as free as possible of distracting influences so that the child learns to focus on the task at hand. The affective environment, that is the social and emotional context, is also important. A hungry or tired child is less likely to be attracted by plain materials that have been set out or are available, and a child who is sad or angry or unwell finds it difficult to concentrate on any activity until their emotional or biological needs have been met. A noisy environment can distract from play and learning, so the child should have a place to play that is visually set apart from the television and the mainstream family activities in a living room space. The child should not be able to see the television without moving out of his play zone. A carpeted space with boundaries on three sides is optimal for undisturbed play. Children should also be encouraged as much as reasonably possible to keep their play materials within their play space, especially in small and very busy homes. Organized play environments help the child sort out what is available to them, choose what appeals at the time, and find space to play actively and undisturbed. So I'm always happy to see a play environment that looks organized, then I can be fairly sure it's also going to feel organized to the child. And it's simply easier for them to decide and to choose something. The parent or caregiver should expect the child will put the play materials back in the place where they are stored after they have finished playing with them. This step, although, takes patience to accommodated should not be omitted because being responsible for maintaining some order in the play environment makes the child aware of the environment and develops a habit of organization that will often endure right into adulthood. Organization in the play environment will also carry over to the child's bedroom and even the outdoor play areas. The child becomes predisposed to making better choices of what to play and to to achieve, to stick with their choice and to restore the organization of the environment when they have finished and want to move on to something else. The environment for play and learning should foster and build positive habits and an expectation that the environment will not impede or disrupt, disrupt their play or make it impossible to continue until they have finished what they intended.
0: And again, Dale, I think that's a really important point that you've highlighted that oftentimes I think that in the busyness of parenting, it can be easy to have a playroom where the children go and play. And, you know, uh, parents don't always have the time really less is more. It's Mm -hmm. not how many toys and activities that children have um, access to it's we're talking more about the kinds of materials and activities that they can uh, involve themselves in that they're organized and ready for them to be able to go and play Uh, this past week I spoke with a parent uh, about the tidying up aspect and one of the things that she does that I thought was very creative uh, her little um, boy loves to play with cars and he has these tracks that he he rides his, his the little cars on but one of the things that his mom has done to help him tidy up at the end of his play is that part of the play the end of the play is parking his vehicle's And so he has a spot for each vehicle where he parks his vehicles. And so it's not even uh, in his mind that he's tidying up. It's more that as part of his play, all of his cars get to go to their parking spots, which again, you know, it's a, it's a life skill and it ties to something that he sees his mom do in everyday life as she drives into a parking lot and parks her car she knows where to find that car when she goes out of the gro- the grocery store and and I think you know it's just a great example of how to include these skills in a way that um, can be fun uh, but are also equipping uh, children. That's a great example
1: and I have a similar one, my granddaughter who loves animals and has, toy animals all over her, her play area has stalls for every animal. So every animal gets a stall before she's finished playing.
0: (laughs) So those are just some some quick tips, again, uh, to help parents make this information really usable. Establish that teaching children habits that help them organize and use the environment effectively is important to the learning. But we haven't talked about how much time is necessary for learning and play. So that's an interesting question we're going to dive into.
1: Becoming a successful learner is not about how much time a child spends on an activity. That is, it's not really about attention span, so much as it is about learning to start and finish an activity that they choose. Adults should encourage the child to choose activities that interest them and stay with them until they have decided that they have finished. And finishing well does not always mean that the child has finished an activity to the adult satisfaction, but it does convey the importance of making a good choice and learning to stick with it despite obstacles, challenges, or the attraction of something else in the environment, not overloading the play environment with too much stimulation and too many choices. As as Diane has already mentioned, it's important to pick and choose how you will provision your environment rather than to just put all kinds of toys in the environment, whether or not they are past their due date or their, their due date in terms of the child's development. Routines are helpful in order to create a break from what the child was playing before they switch to something that arouses different interests provides more active physical challenge or allows for resting. For instance, once they have finished an art activity or a complex puzzle or building a project, during that interval is a good time to install a routine before the next type of activity begins. It is always wise to change the level of activity and to differentiate activities from one another by inserting times for outdoor active play especially after a sedentary or act, interactive indoor activity that calls for more intensive concentration.
0: Yeah. I like that last point deal as children, uh, you know, go outside and have a time of outdoor play when they come back inside their the, the toys or whatever it is that they were doing before they went outside, all of a sudden seems new again. And Potentially, they can return to what they were doing, um, especially if it was something that they were really interested in. But they can come back now with fresh eyes and fresh hands and continue to build on what they were. We also talked, Dale, um, you know, just before we hopped onto the podcast today about the difference between uh, time attention and interest and we talked about when a child is interested in an activity then time will just seem to disappear for for him or her and Mm -hmm. as adults we can we often forget that when we enjoy something so is there a role for projects as a means to promote children's learning and development and and if so how does the collaborative aspect of project play fit with teaching children the way they learn? Well, this is one of
1: my favorite topics. Uh, Project-based learning is especially influential in teaching children to collaborate with others, which means that they practice the related skills, such as planning together, deciding who looks after what aspect of the project, they make decisions together about how to proceed. They learn to ask questions and give answers that require active listening. They negotiate different ways to approach a project, what tools to use, and what the final product should look like. And they usually persist even in the event of a disagreement, ease, and and many more social skills that that even some adults fail to learn. Project-based play and learning is one of the richest forms of play for children in the primary division, that is K to grade three. But in fact, project-based learning fits so well with how children learn. For instance, when when children use projects, they gradually introduce project play by starting with simple one-stage activities, like simple one-step, simple science experiments, perhaps. And then They move on to two-stage, three-stage, and eventually multi-stage activities over an extended period of time. Once again, it is not the amount of time that a project takes, however, that is most important. It is the requirement that children begin, overcome obstacles, seek help, use resources, and finish.
0: As you talk about project-based learning, Dale, I think of parents in the home with their children and a simple project like baking baking can become a project it's uh, a, a recipe is something that children re- will refer back to um, it requires them to collect the ingredients and the supplies um, they worked together uh, if they're doing it with their parent they establish who's going to do what uh, in 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 creating the recipe, and then as you said, um, especially if it's a recipe, let's say it's baking cookies together, and they have uh, a recipe book that has a photo of chocolate chip cookies, they can even look at the picture when they're when they're finished to see if it resembles what they set out to make. And you and I also talked uh, in an earlier podcast about the project of starting a garden uh, in the spring. And that too is a, a project that uh, parents can do with their children at home. So, we're we're, we're talking about uh, project-based learning, not only in the classroom, but also projects that parents can do with their children at home that are teaching them these really important and essential skills. And I think that's a a really great way to end our episode today. So, Dale. Thanks for joining me across this online table and I look forward to having you join me next.